much for all that you do, for who you are. God, thank you that we can come, that we can worship you, that we can sing praise to you, that we can open scripture and we can read your words that are written to us that we might know who you are and what you have called us to. God, thank you that your word is alive and that it speaks directly to us and that as we study and as we learn it, that we might draw closer to you. God, as we wish the kids off to Sunday school here for for a few moments, we just pray for them and the teachers. We thank you for the volunteers that we have to help them learn at a at a level that they can understand that matters to them and that can be real in their life. So we pray for them as they go that they would take to heart what is taught, that the teachers would be blessed for their efforts and that they would even grow in the midst of that as they teach and as they learn from what Scripture says. God, there are many things that we can pray for. Even within just our own little small church family in this very tiny part of the world. We have many needs, but we have much to be thankful for as well. So God, first and foremost, we thank you that Jesus came to the earth, that he died on the cross, that we might have salvation, that we might be able to go to be with you for all of eternity. Would that be first and foremost on our hearts? God, we've also, as we've learned in the last number of months, you have asked us to come to you with our requests and our concerns. And and so, God, we do that this morning. And and those who are here, each one of us, we have unique challenges and struggles. And you know each one of those things. And so, God, whatever it is this morning, whether it's the busyness of life, whether it's the uncertainty of our job, whether it's an unknown future that lays before us that fills us with anxiety, whether it's health issues that have beaten us down, whatever it is, you know what we need. And we know that in Romans 8, it speaks that everything that you allow to us, that you use that for your good. That what the enemy means for evil, that you can take and turn to good. So, God, I pray that whatever we are going through this morning, whatever our unique needs and challenges are, that we wouldn't try to just run away from them, but that we would try and persevere through them, that you might teach us things about yourself and about us as we go through those things. God, we also know that you have called us to be the church, to care for one another. And so, God, I pray that you would put people in our minds that we can pray for every day, that you can put people in our hearts that we can go out and try and help in in whatever way that you call us to, that they would know that they are loved, that they are tangibly loved by their church family, but more importantly, by you. God, for the various ministries that our church has, we lift them all up before you, knowing that you have purpose and you have plan and we only want to do things that you're already involved in. And so help us to be servants. Help us to 
be involved in the areas of need so that we can reach out to our community, both practically but also spiritually, that they might see and know who you are. God, may you give us great opportunities this week to disciple others, to be discipled by others. God, as we open your word now, would it speak to us clearly that we might know the depth of your love for us and that it would change the way in which we live. For the tithes and offerings that we're about to give, God, everything belongs to you. So we give to you not to somehow try and get some kind of reward or out of duty, but we give to you because we want our finances to matter not just in this life, but in your kingdom, into the next. So God, be with us in these moments together. Amen. All right, kids, you can uh, you can run off. Not run. You can, yeah, go ahead. Oh, another one. Yeah, we got one more announcement. like that probably should have been in the announcements and I missed it, so I apologize. Oh yeah, okay. Well then it was in there. Uh, of course. Yeah, okay. If you want to open to Ephesians chapter 1, um, last week we finished off a series uh, for the last three and a half months through the Sermon on the Mount, and then next week, um, while we're away on holidays, Jim is going to be here, Jim Houston, he's going to share with us, and then we're going to kick off Advent in the evening. Uh, moving forward into the end of December. And then in the new year, we're going to take a journey through the book of Exodus together. And uh, I don't know how long that's going to be. We're going to call it a year, and we'll see what happens. 40 years. Yeah. There's so many smart people here. I love it. Biblical jokes are always accessible. Um, but for this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage in Ephesians as kind of a one-off uh, message because does, does anybody know... What November is. There's always an awareness, right? What is November? Anybody know? Hurts my feelings a little if you don't know. Adoption Awareness Month, yes. And if you know our family, then you know adoption is a big, important thing to us. And, and I want to share with you, and we're going to get to Ephesians 1 in a minute, but I'm going to spend a few minutes sharing just a little bit of our journey with you on that process, just because I hope, I hope it will help uh, you grasp the spiritual principle of, of adoption that we find in the book of Ephesians uh, because this has deeply, deeply impacted me uh, and viewing, viewing myself through God's lens, which is the way that I should always view myself and the way we should always view ourselves. But of course, that is a difficult thing. So let me just share the story with you. So before Shayla and I even got married, uh, we had discussions about a potential future family and God had placed on both of our hearts uh, adoption. Um, through varying means, Shayla and myself both had experience with adoption, and, and God was just putting it there in our hearts. And, and so as we discussed that, we kept saying, this is plan A for us. 
this is what our goal is. This is what we believe God has called us to. And so shortly after we got married, we then began to look into uh, the idea a little bit more closely. And while we, we had certain aspects, we, we had kind of lived through it in varying ways, um, all of a sudden we were now going to be adoptive parents. And so we started attending workshops and, and seminars. And all through that process, uh, God was just opening something within us, opening something within myself about caring for those who can't care for themselves. Providing family for those who don't have family. And so uh, there's so much that I could share with you and that we would love to share with you. And so if you're interested in adoption, please come and find us. Uh, come over to our house someday. We'll go for supper, whatever it might be. And we'd love to share a lot of the details with you. Uh, but I'm just going to hit some highlights here. So as we took these seminars, we heard a lot of statistics that were just deeply disturbing and really hard to wrap our minds we learned about how many children are trafficked into, slave, into slavery right in our part of the world. In fact, we lived an hour and a half from Saskatoon, and Saskatoon is known as the little, the little Thailand of the world. There's more human trafficking per capita in Saskatoon than almost anywhere in the world. We were very ignorant of that. We had no idea. And as these statistics and, and, and the realities of what this means for people came in, God just began to open our hearts to men. We need to pursue this. God was at work. And as the months uh, began to go by, we began to figure out the process that God was doing was not just about the adoption itself, it was about our own hearts and understanding God's love for us in a very different way. Every family that enters into uh, the adoption process has their own journey, has their own story, and has their own timeline. For us, it took about three years. And in those three years, I would come across passages like the one we're going to read in Ephesians this morning, but also in Romans and Galatians that spoke about the spiritual principle of adoption. And as I started to learn this more and more, it started to have a deeper impact on my understanding of how God views me. During the process, there's something that they call the range of acceptance. And in this range of acceptance, you have to consider what unique circumstances you are willing to to say yes to or that you might have to say no to. And it sounded strange at first to us. We were like, well, what do you mean you would say no to things? But there were certain realities that we had to consider. One of those examples is that we had to say no if a child had a certain heart defect because we lived too many kilometers away from a major medical center. But in that process, my heart was really exposed because you have, you've got this list in front of you and it said, would you accept a child with they had all these different medical issues, physical problems, all these different things. And you had to sit there and you had to go, am I prepared for this? And I know that when you have a biological child, you have no guarantees of anything either. But to sit down and stare at that paper and reveal your own heart and to see how selfish you are and think, man, I just want to help you. It's a full child approach. And then God began to reveal to me, Greg, are you a, are you a healthy full child with no issues? ask my mom that one day. <laughs> and so in this process, we said yes to pretty much everything possible. And so we, we didn't know uh, a lot of things. We didn't know what age the child would be. We had a pretty broad range of that. We didn't know whether it was going to be a, a boy or a girl. We didn't know if it was going to be one or two or three or four. No, maybe I don't think we said four. 
We had no idea about all these things. Now, again, I understand. Uh, I have a friend who had the one little baby that was one year old, and then they uh, got pregnant and had triplets. And so they now have four kids under five years old. And, and so I understand that that is a reality we all have to face. But all my other friends have had biological kids, and they at least know the age. This is going to be a baby. And we didn't. So we didn't know. How do you prepare the room? What do you need? A crib? A bed? What toys do you need? What do you not need? And, and we just, we had very little to go on until one day, all of a sudden, we got in our email this little, this little package, and it said, you have been matched with a child, and here is the check. I don't know how to prepare for that moment. All I know is Shayla had to go to work that day. <laughs> I ran home with this email, and I showed her, and there was a picture, and there was some information, and we looked at it, and we cried our eyes out after waiting for, for so long, and then, and then it was like, okay, time to go to work. See you later. Good news is Shayla worked for someone in our church, so she was very, very understanding of it. In that reality, there were a bunch of things for us. First of all, we had no idea what to expect until it was almost too late to expect. When we got that email, we had 20 or 48 hours to say either yes or no, and by the time we said yes, we were told you have five weeks to be in South Africa with your family before they come. Okay, now it gets real. All this three years of process of waiting, the, the, the joke in the adoption world is you hurry up and wait. You finish one step, you hurry up and do that as fast as you can just so that you can wait for a long time. And you hurry up and do the next step and then you wait. And all of a sudden there was this reality of uh, you have to be prepared. This child is nearly two. And it's a boy. And now you've got to figure out how to be parents in practical aspects. And now you've got to fly across the world and start your journey in a different country different culture, driving on the different side of the road, which I didn't screw up too very many times. But all of a sudden, our life was changed radically upside down. But that moment of when we got the email, and I didn't look at anything, I waited to look at it with Shayla. But when I got home, and when we opened it, and when we looked, and we saw this picture, we've never had biological kids, but I imagine it's the same thing for you when the babies are born. Because you look at them, and you know that you love them more than you ever could have imagined. Spiritual principle adoption has the same truth to it. And so I want to read for us Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. And I'm not going to share much else about our own journey, but we would love to have that conversation with you if you are interested. But I share just a little bit of that with you so that when we talk about the spiritual principle of adoption and we think about the way that God views us, that whether you've had biological or adopted children, that when you see that child for the first time, the emotions and the thoughts and the love that you have for them are so similar to what God has for you. So let's read these verses together. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he destined us for adoption as sons of Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the, very, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession to the praise of his glory. There is so much that we could spend time on. We could, we could take weeks to preach through these few verses. And so I'm going to skip over things that I apologize in advance for. And again, if, if you want further clarification, or man, Greg, you missed talking about this, that's what the phone is for. Please let me know. I would love to have some conversations with you. But for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on this idea of adoption. And let's give just a little bit of context just so we're all on the same page. When Paul begins with this blessing, he, he kind of blesses God for blessing him. That might sound like kind of a strange idea to us, but this is very common in the ancient Hebrew culture all the way into the life of the early church, is they would pray a blessing to God, and while we might not say, bless you, God, for whatever it might be, in our own prayers, we might call these prayers of thanksgiving or gratitude, that kind of very thing. But sometimes you just are in an encounter with God, whether that's a, a situation has happened or, or you've read something or heard something, and, and you're just so thankful for life the love that God has given you, and you maybe don't even know how to describe that, so you just call out a blessing. God, thank you for what you've done. In the Greek, uh, verses 3 to 14 are one very complex, very grammatically incorrect sentence. There's, there's no punctuation. There's one sentence. And when you read it, if you read it over and over and over, you can kind of hear Paul just being like, God, thank you for... Oh, and, for this too, and then and then because of that, and, and you did this so that, and it's just he's just like getting worked up and, and more excited about the reality that he is part of God's family. And this is something that I wonder if those of us who have grown up in a church that sometimes we take for granted. Here is Paul, who in his previous life was Saul, who was a, a, a killer of Christians and a prisoner of them, persecuting them because he thought he was religiously correct until he had a moment with Jesus, the, the risen Lord. And the risen Jesus speaks to him and he understands his, his lack of understanding of everything the Old Testament talks about. And his whole life changes. And so over and over through the New Testament, he goes on these little rabbit trails where all of a sudden he's reminded of that. He's like, this is why I'm here. And how we Maybe we need a reminder. Maybe we need to hang out with people who have become Christians very recently in their lives so that we can be refreshed and renewed. What does it mean to first thank Jesus for what he's done? This is something we should always bring ourselves back to, remind us of the goodness and the wonderfulness of who God is. These first few verses, uh, I'm just hitting some highlights here before we get there where I want to go, but these first few verses paint probably the best picture of the Trinity uh, in, in all of Scripture. And in fact, 
many uh, commentators and theologians spent pages and pages just talking about the unique dynamic relationship that exists between the Trinity and the Trinity's person. So if you're ever curious about kind of like father, son, spirit, and roles, and what this means, and how are they the same but different, is just pick up a commentary on the first two verses of Ephesians, and, and it'll be really impactful. Then we get into verse 4, and this is where it's important for our purpose this morning. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There's something in that that we need to focus on. He chose us. There's a couple things I want to say here. But first of all is this is God's choosing, not ours. And we're going to talk about election and predestination real briefly because we're not going to come to church has been invited in many ways and there's many different ways to understand or interpret that. My, my goal is not to explain that in detail. Except to say that there's a tension that exists within scripture that the biblical authors don't try to solve. There's God's choosing and there's our choosing. And, and we find those as two different things that somehow the biblical authors aren't worried about. In Ephesians 2, in, in just the next chapter, Paul's going to say, while you were dead in your sins. That's when Christ came down and rescued you. He couldn't call out to you. He didn't even know you needed. I didn't even know that I needed Christ before he chose me. In our own journey of adoption is knowing that truth to be like there's this moment of do you choose this child? Now again, it's, it's interesting because for us, that process started before Stormy was even born. We didn't know that, of course. But as we prayed and as we, you know, fundraised and as we talked and as we went to conferences and seminars, all these things is that God was at work choosing for us a son whom we would choose. And I don't know how to wrap my brain around that, except for the fact that I know that that's God's work, God's choosing. In the same way he chose me. But Paul clarifies, just so that we don't somehow think that God chose us because of us. He says, even as he chose us, what does he say? In him. See, God didn't choose me because of my abilities and my talents or my skills or, or what he one day would know that I might accomplish. His choosing had nothing to do with what I would consider the merit of being chosen. He chose me. nothing to do with me. And I think sometimes we view it like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And so God chose me because he knew that my heart was kind of more formable than others. But really, have you read the Bible? Like God chose some of the worst as far as we're concerned. And transformed them into some of the greatest writers and evangelists and teachers and pastors and so on. In fact, when you just think of how Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he chose them not because they were worthy, but because they had dropped out. They weren't good enough. Friends, there's some great truth in that is we're not chosen because we're worthy. We're not chosen because we're worthy. We're chosen because he wants to take us. Adam's statement that the more that we say that, the more that we think it, the more confusing it becomes. If he wants to make me worthy, 
but apart from him, I have no strength. So he says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, before the world was even created, God has set you. I'm just going to read this from John Stott. This is a better way. He says it this way. God put us and Christ together in his mind. He determined to make us who did not yet exist his own children through the redeeming work of of Christ, which had not yet taken place. There's so much of the Bible that I don't even think about. There's so much about God that just, I don't know how to wrap my brain around. And I wonder if you could sit down and have a conversation with Paul, did he understand these things? Or did he just simply know they were true? Like I said, election or predestination is a complex issue. I don't want to ignore it, but for our purposes this morning, I'm just going to be short on it. Like I said, the biblical authors, they don't worry about this tension that exists in there. For us, or for them, it was two sides of the same coin, is that God first reaches down and chooses you, and he saves you in your own sin when you don't even know that you need him. And we can say, well, how is that fair? How is that just? And and we can wrestle through all of those things until we can come up with like theological patterns to go, okay, this is this is what makes sense to me. When, when the truth of it is, no matter how intellectual you get, the fact that God chooses doesn't make sense. It feels like we should be the ones that choose. But remember, God has created me and he's created you in his image and he loves you desperately. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world, before we were even created. He predestined us as adoption to be his sons and daughters. I really want that to sink in for us this morning. Because this isn't as though we have some creator who looked down, saw our plight, realized how difficult life was, and said, I'm going to give you a chance at salvation. I'm going to send Jesus, and I'm just going to step back and let you figure it out. Is this is a God who, despite our rebellion all through Scripture, we're going to talk about this in Exodus, but like a year now. Despite the fact that we keep turning away, keep choosing our own way, is God in his grace and his mercy reaches down and rescues us over and over and over. But he hasn't just rescued us to leave us. He's rescued us because he wants to be in relationship with us. And I think sometimes we view this as like God is just completely, you know, separate from us and he's in some kind of heavenly place and and I don't know how to quantify all of that. And while that is true, God also wants to be near to you. And so as as it says at the end of these verses, he's given us the Holy Spirit so that he can be in relationship with us in a tangible way. While God is completely separate from us, he also wants to be in relationship with us. But also not as not as a peer, not as some kind of a friend where you can like take some days and then ignore phone calls some of the other days. But God has adopted us to be his son or his daughter, and there's rights that come with that adoption. Smonga is my son, not just legally, not because people put something on a piece of paper that we sign, but because I chose that I'm gonna love him for the rest of his life. And all you parents know this. When your kids do mean things, when your kids do awful things, when they do the worst thing that you could possibly imagine, you don't just go, man, I'm just done. I'm no longer loved. It may be difficult, it may be painful, but the reason it's painful is because you're loved for the 
first place. And you want what's good, and you want what's right for them, and you want to lead and direct them, and you don't want them to have pain, and you don't want them to have hurts, and yet we know if you're a parent that sometimes kids choose things that are wrong. It's so difficult. And yet in God's grace and his mercy, he says, I've called you into sonship or daughtership. We are part of his family. And so if you continue reading, it says, well, well, what comes with that? The praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. When you have been adopted into his family, your sins are done. You can now be with him for all of eternity. And that doesn't mean that you're now the perfect son or the perfect daughter that never screws up. The life continues and, and there's a journey of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, of, of choosing to follow God more than we choose to follow ourselves. And, and that is painful and difficult. But we have been given, in the ancient times, you've been given a ring that shows that you belong to the Father. He is yours and in fact, when you read the story of the prodigal son, that's one of the unique things in there that sometimes we overlook is the older brother, went, or the younger brother, excuse me, when he leaves, he gets rid of everything. He even sells his ring, which says, I'm no longer a son. And what's one of the first things the father does when he comes home to find out? Just quick, put a ring on his finger. Even though he rejects and runs away, when he finally, as it says in, in the scriptures, or when he comes to his senses. When he comes back to his father, his father is there with his arms open to forgive and to embrace. And he says to the older brother, this son of mine was dead, but he's alive. There's nothing, there's nothing else like being this is probably reality for some of you who are here today. You moved here for a season for six months, for a year, for short-term time, and you leave everything behind. And hopefully you come and you show up in church and you find yourself a new church. Not to replace the one that you were part of, but because we need you. We need those to help us. And so the beauty of the church is that it's not as though I'm isolated, I'm adopted into God's family and then left there, but that I'm adopted into a family of brothers and sisters who get to be together on mission and purpose. And, and here's what it says, is it's for his goodness, for his grace, which he lavished, this is verse 8, which he lavished upon us. He has given us wisdom and insight, and he's made known to us the mystery of his will. So this is Paul's unique way of pretty much saying this is, the gospel before Christ came was a mystery because they understood parts of it, but they were waiting for it to be fulfilled. And Paul says, now we know the mystery that because it's Christ in us. And so now you've been adopted, but you haven't just been adopted and said you're loved and you're cared for. Now be part of a family. God has said, now I'm giving you purpose and mission. That you would go and spread this love so that others can come into this family too, so that they too can know what it means to be loved and cared for by the creator of the universe. I think one of the biggest challenges of our culture is we have so many distractions all around us. 
We say, when, you, when somebody asks how you are, what do you usually reply? Busy. Sometimes probably too busy to know that we've lost sight of what our purpose in life is. Well, God has given you skills and abilities, and he's given us uh, unique ways in which he's given us personality traits so, so we can accomplish lots of good. And, and so work is a good thing, but it's not at all. What we have been created for is to be brothers and sisters, to go out into a world of need who says, I'm lonely, and I have no hope, and I have no purpose, and I don't understand life. And we can go, can I show you Jesus? Can I show you who has adopted me into his family and has given me purpose and meaning, and he can do the same for you? Now, there's this confusing thing about election where some will ask, well, well, what if God didn't choose that person? Well, John Calvin, who was kind of a, a, this was kind of one of the areas that he spent so much time on, was his focus was, I don't know who's chosen and who's not, so I'm going to go and find everyone I can to go and That's not for me to know or for you to know. Is that person chosen? Is that person not? I think when we get into that, that's when we start to go, is God fair? Is it right? Is it just? We're putting ourselves in the place of God. Remember in Job, at first Job responds really well to God, but eventually goes, I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. And God eventually goes to him and he says, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Does he give Job an answer? Does he explain to him why he allowed suffering to happen? No, he simply says, trust me in the midst of it, I am God. And Job does the good in the end of his life as he follows after God for the rest of his life. As we consider these words, as we consider the calling to which we have been called, the adoption that we've been brought into, the family that we have, may we not lose sight of what the purpose of this is. It says a lot in here that it's about bringing glory to God, and, and I want to clarify this because I think this is a misunderstood concept. Is some people will read this and be like, Man, God's like an egomaniac who just needs all of his creation to worship him because he's got such insecurity. I think that's such a poor understanding of what's happening in the scripture. I think it's God's grace and his mercy that he's showing us that he simply is the greatest in all creation and nothing else can satisfy us. And nothing else can give us meaning or purpose long term. And so he's calling us to him. He's showing us his glory so that we can't but help go, I have deal with this. And if you've experienced his glory, you probably want to share it. I think we're created this way in generally speaking, right? Is when we go through an incredible experience in our lives, we want to share it with someone. Whether that's a spouse or a sibling or a friend or a roommate or whatever. And, and the challenge is that sometimes they don't reciprocate that and you're like, man, how do you not understand how good this is? Men, you all understand this because you tell your wives jokes that they don't laugh at all the time. Like we want to, we want to bring them into that experience. Maybe the gospel is different. When we see the goodness, the grace, and the mercy, the fatherhood of Christ, and, and we come into this adoption, we come into this family, is there should be nothing that prevents us from talking about this and trying to share this with people because it's the greatest thing that we could ever have. And some will reject because some aren't ready yet to hear that message. And 
Scripture talks about that in many different metaphors and parables. That doesn't mean that we stop. It means that we go, who's next, God? Who's next to show the glory of God? As these three years went by, as we began the process of adoption, all the way to seeing that picture, all the way to getting to Africa, and I remember this moment distinctly, is getting to the orphanage and walking through the door, and Shane and I just stopped. We saw what we knew was our son. We didn't know how to deal with him. We don't know how to process that emotion. And we sat down with him there who was, well, he was very sick right then, and he was very ornery, and he was very grumpy. And all he did was throw toys at me because he wanted money. That didn't stop me from loving him. That didn't stop me in that moment from going, oh, we should just turn around and go home. If anything, it spurred us on. Man, we're going to take some time out of this. Maybe that's not the right motivation. <laughs> but in the same way, is when we do things that hurt our Heavenly Father, He doesn't just stop and go, I'm done. And so the more that I think about my life and the mistakes that I make and the hurts that I cause and, and the sin that I struggle with, and sometimes I can go, man, I'm not worthy. And God goes, that's the point, but I've chosen you anyway. Let me make you worthy. Not because of anything you can do. Not because of anything that you are, but because he loves you anyway. I know I'm harping on this a lot. But I think it's very important that each one of us unwilling to allow you to die in your sins without knowing it. He has called you. He has chosen you. He has brought you to his family. But not just to save you. To save you with purpose and calling. So we can run out into the world and we can shine for our Lord. May we share that love. May we remember that we aren't some loved and left to figure it out on our own, but we're loved and embraced by our Father. I hope these stories have helped. God, as we consider what adoption looks like, may we not only think of it in some physical kind of way, but may we do it spiritual depth. God, you have called us to make your name known so that others might be brought into your family. And so God, I hope that even this morning that there's people here that are considering what, what am I called to? Am I called to adopt a child who needs a family? Then I pray they would step out in faith and God, maybe we're at a different stage in life where adopting a child is, is not what you're calling us to. But we live in a place here where there are many who don't have families. Would you impress upon us a burden and a desire to help those who don't have family here to feel loved, to feel cared for? That they might know the love of the Father and the 
understood by grunge. Whether we legally adopt people or whether we just metaphorically adopt people, God, may we invest and care for and love because you first loved us. God, I know that I'm not worthy of your love, yet you chose me. I don't always deserve it. But thank you that you have cared for me, that you want to be in relationship with me, that you have called us morning. There's a snack somewhere, I hope. Yep, there is. Yep. Please come and, and visit with us and chat with us. And if you'd like to talk about adoption further, come and find Shayla and myself. We'd love to have you come. We hope you have a wonderful week.